welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. In this episode, Drs. Jim Carr and Melissa Nosick provide a brief history of the BACB and its evolution in the face of the profession's unprecedented growth over the last decade. They also preview what to expect in future episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside the BACB. This is the first episode of a new podcast series. We're very excited to tell you what we have planned for the podcast and what kind of episodes we'll be airing. But before we do that, I thought we'd do some introductions. So I'm Dr. Jim Card, the Chief Executive Officer of the BACB. And I'm Dr. Melissa Nosick, the Deputy CEO at the BACB. And maybe before we get into the podcast, we could just briefly talk about how we came to be at the BACB because we're both behavior analysts and it's a somewhat unusual place for a behavior analyst to work professionally. So Melissa, you've been at the BACB for five years now. So why don't you tell us how you got here? Gosh, it doesn't seem like it's been five years, but um, that's a good question. So you know, the BACB has always been uh, a part of my interaction with behavior analysis. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be around at a time when the BACB didn't exist and practicing in a developmental facility in North Carolina. So as soon as the uh, BACB began credentialing. I got my first uh, credential in 2002. I became a BCABA, an assistant behavior analyst. And then in 2004, I got my certification as a BCBA. So behavior analysis and regulation of behavior analytic practitioners has always really been a part of my practice and has seemed like such a an important thing for consumer protection purposes. So I really knew the value of certification. And when the postdoc ad showed up uh, for at the BACB, I had just graduated with my PhD and it didn't seem like anything could be a better fit. And I was just really excited for the opportunity even to interview. I went to my interview just having a really good time. And so uh, when you called and offered me the job, actually, I didn't think there was any way in the world I was going to get the job. So I was really excited um, to have the opportunity. And, you know, after 15 years of practice, really looking forward to working for the certification board. But I will add, uh, so uh, I was bringing Melissa on as a postdoc because we just need more. We needed more support. I needed more support in some of the functions I was involved in. Um, and she came in and for six months she was in a postdoctoral fellowship position. Uh, and at that point I canceled the fellowship when it was clear that she was always going to be working at the BACB. Uh, and I think you were the coordinator of executive initiatives and not long thereafter yeah. that you became the deputy CEO. I've had a couple of titles. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, I came to the BACB, uh, through a different route. I was actually on the board of directors. Uh, so in 2009, I was fortunate to have been elected to the board. Um, and I served on the board for two years. And sadly, at that point, our founding CEO, Dr. Jerry Shook, uh, he became ill uh, and it became terminal. Uh, and so the president of our board of directors at the time was Dr. Judy Favel, who's one of the all time Hall of Famers yeah. in behavior analysis. Um, and she asked me if I would think about yeah. um you know, coming to the BACB. Um, and at the time I, I was in my 15th year of being a professor. That's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but I, 
took a month to think about it. And uh, it was just kind of a duty calls moment. Uh, and so we worked things out for me to make the transition. Uh, and it was uh, a big transition for me. But it's been a, a very uh, enjoyable one and one that uh, it's just been a real privilege to serve. Uh, little did I know that uh, the first decade of my time at the BACB was going to be so eventful. So before we talk about uh, what's in store in this podcast series, uh, might be good to provide a little bit of context. So uh, as some of you may have noticed over the last decade, uh, our profession has experienced unprecedented growth. Uh, Melissa, I did you ever think that we would oh see gosh. this kind of growth uh, in such a short period of time? No, I never imagined it. Back in 2014, we had 13,000 certificates mm -hmm. when I started. Now 50 states with autism insurance reform, 30 states with licensure. And now here we sit, we just celebrated in June, 100,000 certificates at the BACB. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think like when you took the job that- No, I'll answer before you finish that sentence. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. In fact, one of the first things I did at the BACB was we had a newsletter coming out. So I remember the the lead article was BACB exceeds 10,000. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and that was seven and a half years ago when I wrote that article. I never, ever thought um, we'd be talking about 100,000, you know, in, in less than a decade. And, you know, what's interesting is many professions, um, maybe most and perhaps all other professions did not have this kind of rapid growth. Uh, I think part of it was the kind of point in time when this has happened. But um, most behavior analysts and behavior technicians interact with the BACB on a regular basis, right? So they, yeah. they get emails from us, they apply, they mm -hmm. recertify, they renew. Um, and so I think that as a national organization, we're kind of on their radar yeah. uh, in a way. And I think that sometimes the we get conflated with the cause of the growth in the profession. Um, yeah. In other words, people think that the, the mm -hmm. existence of the BACB in our certification programs is why uh, we've had this growth in recent years, but that's actually not true at all. So if you just think about the first 10 years of the BACB, right? So yeah. the BACB was founded in 98. The first BCBAs were certified a year later in 99. Mm -hmm. And in the 2000s, there was some growth in the number of certificates, yeah. but not a lot. And in fact, if you actually look at the graph that we display, and that's on our website, yeah. you'll see very uh, modest increasing yeah. trend, very stable, not a lot going on that would actually produce um, an increase or an acceleration in the data. But right around 2010, between 2010 yeah. and 2013, you see that data pass start to show a very different trend. And what happened was uh, the work of uh, our colleagues at Autism Speaks uh, and working with advocates and behavior analysts in different states, passing all of this autism funding legislation, that was the MO, Yeah. right? People don't become certified because a certification exists. They become certified when there's a reason to do so. Yeah. Uh, and so I think in the early days of the BACB, most of us who got certified, we didn't need it yet. But we did it because it was the right thing to do for the profession. And we yeah. figured at some point this would be meaningful. And that did happen. But it was all of this funding. And what's interesting about that story is the demand for ABA services um, in the autism area did not come from behavior analysts. It no. came from advocates, advocates. and families yeah. and you know, and people like uh, Lori Unum and her colleagues at Autism Speaks 
Uh, these are the individuals who went out there and built the infrastructure uh, that actually allowed the demand to kind of fulfill its potential. And, right. and from that, uh, the demand sparked uh, a high number of the growth and new training programs at universities. Yeah. And haven't we seen, so we looked at the data on the growth of training programs in the last decade, and wasn't it one program per month for the last 10 years? Yeah, for yeah, for 120 Insane. new course sequences at in institutions in a decade. And so that's kind of what happened, right? There was a demand for services yeah. and university training programs get developed and they're, you know, kind of playing their role. And then we're really downstream from all of that, right? Right. And it, after we're people are trained, point. we're the end point. Uh, after training, then they come to us and, and they get certified. So it, it's not the BACB that has caused the yeah. growth. We've been a part of it, uh, but it's the demand for services. And this could replicate. If the world finds out what we have to offer other practice areas. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the challenges at the BACB is we have to support our certificates. Um, and so we have had to grow as an organization during this decade of, of rapid demand for, for the services from behavior analysts. Uh, and that's something that I did not expect at all. I knew we were yeah. going to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when I came to the company, we were in Tallahassee, Florida. We had a couple of rented offices. Uh, we had just a handful of like four employees working out of there. And I knew that we were going to grow. We need to pick a city yeah. that would be good for growth and attracting a, a lot of young talent. And so that's how we ended up in Denver. Well, it's a good thing we're here in Denver because it's easy to recruit good employees. Yes, indeed. And we've had to recruit a number of them. So yeah. we now have 63 full-time employees. And when I was hired, just under eight years ago, I was number six. I was six. number 12. <laughs> 12, right. And that was yeah. five years ago. You right. were number 12. So in five years, we've added 51 new full-time employees and we've got multiple job ads for other positions out now. Um, we have eight behavior analysts on staff out of 63 yeah. full-time uh, working in a variety of different domains. And it's no doubt we have definitely experienced some of the growing pains I bet providers are experiencing with all the demand. Oh, absolutely. Like our technology and just scaling up as quickly as we can scaling to meet up the needs. To meet the needs, right? Instead of meeting the needs of yeah. a client waiting list, we're meeting the needs of our certificates and uh, you know, and a big, big part of the profession. So we've had to go from a few employees who did a little bit of everything. And then at some point we had multiple employees who did the same thing. And then we had teams and then we had departments. And in the last, you know, uh, seven and a half years, we have gone through three formal organizational charts. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember uh, in my first year, we had two people in customer service and I could hear them on the phones outside yeah, of our office. Absolutely, just two people. Uh, and, you know, the number of emails that they probably responded to is nowhere near what we've, I think, what was it last year? 175,000 Last emails? year we had, a, what was 175,000 contacts, so emails and phone, phone calls in a single year. Our customer service team now, 16 full-time employees, all they do is talk on the phone and respond to emails. And they're overseen by someone who has a PhD in OBM. Uh, but we've had to develop the structure. We've had to develop yeah. ways of doing things. Dr. Molly Luke. Dr. Molly Luke. <laughs> she's, she's on the case. Yeah, she's our OBM expert kind of uh, working on helping our kind of improve and manage our customer service function. But we have had to uh, grow very quickly and we've had to figure out how do we 
what kind of people do we need in the yeah. jobs? What are the jobs? How do we do the work? Are there better ways of doing it? And, you know, and I think in recent years, we've gotten to a point where we've rebuilt all of our systems multiple times yeah. because of the demand. We just didn't anticipate this number of people. Yeah. Adaptability is definitely an employee characteristic that isn't just a nice to have. It's a need to have. Absolutely. Changes on a regular basis on job roles. A frequent basis. And in yeah. fact, you know, in a lot of companies, you, you, you know, you hear, why do you do it that way? Well, we do it this way because we've always done it that way. It's the yeah. opposite at the BACB. It's almost like, hey, you've done it this way for two years. Yeah. Why haven't you changed it? Right? <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> um, and that's just the way it is. And our kind of internal mantra is scalability. Yeah. If we are processing applications or responding to customer service or uh, routing cases through our ethics department, yeah. we have to ask ourselves, can we still do it this way in five years when maybe we have 200,000 certificates? And if the answer is no, we got to yeah. change it. We can't do it that way anymore. You know, you know, it's an environment that's changing when your whole interview process surrounds questions and assessments about the flexibility and adaptability right. of a new employee. That's who we need working at the BACB. Absolutely yeah. right. So just as the profession has grown a lot in recent years and our kind of infrastructure around practice and uh, and all of these services being delivered, that is under development and, and complete. Uh, the same thing is uh, true about the BACB. I mean, we've had to, uh, as I mentioned, you know, hire a lot of people, figure out how to do the work, where to put all these people, build new buildings. And um, and we are not there yet. Yeah, at some point, yeah. we will reach our steady state yep. in how we do certain things. And I know that I say that a lot. And you guys <laughs> tease me for implying that the steady state might be yeah. right around the corner, at least in terms of our infrastructure. But the truth is, it's probably not. We don't know when the demand for services yeah. in this area is going to start to cool. Mm -hmm. um, last year, we had over 5,200 new BCBAs in a single year. I never, That's ever imagined. Crazy. I mean, we didn't have that until like 10 or 11 years yeah. into the company. And now we're having it in a single year. And so our infrastructure is still under development. Yeah. And well, so, for instance, I mentioned earlier how, you know, we've got 16 full-time employees in customer service oh, yeah. and OBM. And, and we were, you know, staffed up uh, mm -hmm. at the time and expecting, you know, a little bit of growth. But we had one state's funding system, not going to name names, uh, require all new behavior technicians uh, have a notarized letter from the BACB indicating that they were certified, even right. though that information is available on our registry. Right. And that resulted in thousands of new contacts it's and customer like service. It's like one little change one, to one, funding in one state. One state. And, yeah. you know, we, we didn't anticipate that uh, one funding, uh, one organization yeah. could dump thousands of customer service contacts yep. uh, on our team and in a matter of weeks. Yep. And so as a result, our call times got longer and it you know took a while to respond to emails and we got caught up in January. Yeah. But it was a, a good lesson that there are just so many unknowns out there in the profession Absolutely. right now. And so our goal now is to try to be overstaffed right. so we can absorb that kind of cushion when it happens. But even with all the resources that we had put in place, right. and we put tremendous resources um, in place, especially in customer service. This was an unforeseen variable. It was. And we're just adding resources all over the company to help communicate better, which speaking of the podcast, 
So we have an entire media and communications team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't exist two years ago. Two years ago. So now no there's, team. Right. Now we have six employees in that on that team, uh, a multimedia person, a full-time copy editor for all of the content on our website and newsletters, uh, but scaling up rapidly to try to meet some of the needs of uh, our certificants that are used to listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and um, communicating in different ways. We have blogs coming along very soon. And um, some of the some of the information we have to share with certificants just really doesn't fit nicely into the mechanisms that we've always used, um, which mm-hmm. is the newsletter yeah. format. And one of the things that I have loved about the newsletter format is the no fluff policy. Yeah. But it seems like... Uh, we need to get some messages out there that are something other than the typical standards changes that we typically reserve for newsletter content. Right. Maybe we should say what the no fluff policy is for our listeners. Oh, okay. So when I came to the BACB, one of the things I noticed is that we had a newsletter schedule. So every quarter yeah. we put out a newsletter. And one of the one of the difficulties associated with um, that kind of schedule is you're always chasing content. Yeah. Oh, we got a newsletter coming out in three weeks. We're yeah. gonna find our you know articles to to write. For you know, that. a lot of organizations have these typical schedules, like every three months, yeah. and they do exactly that. Is and, and, and it can content. work. I mean, journals work that yeah. way because there's just a a, a a a continual flow of manuscripts being submitted for publication. But for newsletters, it's a little different, right? Uh, and what I didn't want to do was to just have to write articles to fill space. And then I thought, you know, if we had a purposefully irregular newsletter publication schedule, we would just save articles along the way. And then when they kind of made up an issue, we would publish it. And then that might be a signal for the profession that, oh, the BACB has something to say now. Yeah. Right. A newsletter just came out. I think I think it's certainly served its purpose because I had a recent interaction with someone that said that when they get a newsletter in their email inbox, Mm -hmm. they set it aside and prepare special time for the reading of it. (laughs) That's great. So uh, the no fluff policy might be working. Yeah, no, I think so. And, you know, and you're right. We you know, we have a website and it's very comprehensive and we have newsletters and we send mass emails and and, you know, we're on social media a little bit communicating information. But you know, one of the nice things about the podcast, as you mentioned, is we can tell different kinds of stories yeah. on a podcast. For example, everything we've just said wouldn't exactly be right for a newsletter article and right. it'd be a slightly weird social media post. So um, what our plan is moving forward is that now we have this new mechanism um, that this will be a way to tell stories differently and to tell new stories to our right. certificants. Uh, and we do know that so many of our certificants have drive times oh my in gosh, their daily yes. schedule and and are listening to podcasts. And so we thought, well, you know, this might be a good match for them. And we listen to a ton of podcasts and we frequently trade, right. uh, hey, I got this new podcast. You should check this out. So our plan is uh, when we, you know, this episode launches, right. um, Within the next couple of months after that, we'll have a handful of other episodes come out. But then at some point, we will probably go to an irregular schedule. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay because mm-hmm. the nice thing about a podcast is you can subscribe to it, ignore it. And then when there's a new episode, it just shows up in your feed and you are good to go. I always get so excited when I have some new podcasts that are some of my favorites. Me too. I have two or three that are yeah. favorites. And uh, on the days that new episodes come yeah. out, I'm very excited about the drive into the office. I have to admit that sometimes I drive around the building to finish an episode, but that's uh, okay. I've done the same thing, actually. 
<laughs> Why is Jim sitting in his car in the parking lot for seven minutes? So, uh, so that's the plan. Uh, and our stories are really going to vary. We will tell uh, stories about the profession. Uh, we will have uh, some episodes that feature specific departments and right. teams. Uh, and the BACB. And so. Um, and tell some stories about subject matter experts and security and um, different departmental functions at the BACB. Absolutely. So each one's, they're going to be different. Some of them are going to be very brief. Right. Um, we might have little kind of digest updates periodically. Some of them might be long form where we tell you, uh, for example, we have an episode on the history of our ethics code. Yeah. It's a very interesting a really story uh, and that's coming. And so, but again, rather than saying that our podcast is going to be this format, right. rather than focus on topography, we're going to focus on the function. So when we have something we think is interesting and informative and appropriate for the podcast mechanism, then an episode will come out. But we can't tell you how long they're going to be uh, or if they're going to be an interview format versus a conversation. But that's just appropriate. Right. Right. This is another communication yeah. channel and it gives us that flexibility. So we're going to use it. I'm really excited uh, to start putting some additional content out, especially because we've had requests of this nature. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Jim, how will our listeners get access to this content? So our podcast is going to be available on all the major services, iTunes and Spotify. So what we recommend is that you just subscribe to the podcast. And then when we do have an episode come out. You'll have it in your feed. And again, early on, we'll have a number of these being published. But at some point, there may be months between episodes because we don't yet have something to say. And so subscription is the best way to get the content. We're also going to have a, a web page on our website devoted to the podcast where the episodes will be available and we'll have show notes and resources and that sort of thing. And I think that's it for now. So uh, as you start listening, if you have any feedback or suggestions of how we can improve the podcast series, please uh, yeah. let us know. Send us your feedback. And uh, we're excited about this. And uh, hopefully you will find it useful. And we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.